Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. And I'll be reading the scripture today from Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Hey everyone, how are we? Good, my name is Dave, a different Dave than the one going to Tajikistan, but I'm still Dave, and uh, I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors here, so if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I, I hope we do. Uh, actually, I'd, I would love to meet you after the service if you want to come and join over there by that um, welcome to upper room table. That would be really great. Uh, if you are here um, on time this morning at 9.45, at the beginning of the service, you would have not only had the opportunity to receive a cup of coffee, um, but you would have also possibly heard Curtis singing this song, Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran. Were any of you here for that? Yeah, I was like falling in love all over again just as I was hearing it being sung. Not with him, with my wife. And um, this is probably a familiar song. If you weren't here, we've got it up on the, on the screen, some of the lyrics, because I mean, like, look at, look at the lyrics of this song, right? Darling, I'm gonna be loving you until we're 70. And even when we're 70 years old, I'm gonna be falling for you just the same as when I was 23 years old. And yeah, people fall in love in mysterious ways. There's all different things. But I just wanna tell you, did you know you could preach a song, by the way? I just wanna tell you that I'm gonna be falling in love with you every single day, right? Come on. There's a reason why. There's a reason why this song has had over 500 million streams on Spotify alone. And since it was released in 2016, it's been the number one first dance song. Okay, there's a reason for that, right? So if you're a songwriter, niche market, right there. And then later on he says, and I think this is great too, he says, when my hair's all gone and my memory fades and the crowds don't remember my name, when my hands don't play the strings the same way, I know I will still love you the same right? So why? What is it with songs like this and other ones that we just love? What is the deal? I think it's because it's talking about this idea of love, of true love, and we love love. We love true love. We love the idea of, and I think part of the reason we're so enamored with it is because it's so mysterious. Not like Ed Sheeran says mysterious ways, that's true. But the idea, like the question, like, is it actually possible to love somebody like this? Is it actually possible to be committed to somebody all the way through life? 
You know, all of these movies and shows that we watch, you know, romantic comedies, for example, that talk about, you know, couples falling in love and then they end with the marriage or the happily ever after. There isn't a sequel usually to those. Because, and when there is, maybe it's just about a couple that goes through some challenges or whatever else. Why? Because we love the idea of love and we don't want to necessarily think about what could happen after, like all the work that needs to go into it. Right? I mean, this is even true if you just want to break down for a moment Ed Sheeran's own uh, experience with love. I mean, in one song he says that uh, the club isn't a good place to find a lover, so that's why he goes to the bar. And there he finds a woman, and he ends up falling in love, but mostly with her body. So a question I raise is, will he still be in love with her body when they're 70? Is this the same woman? And then there's this other song he sings where he, he wants to, he has the, he hooks up with this girl and he doesn't really want to have a relationship with her, but then he starts to fall for her. He starts to have feelings for her and she ends up cheating on him with another guy on the same hotel floor, right? And so it even gives us this picture of like love is so complex, right? And what we hear about in these songs, there's something about it. It's just like, man, can we have it? And if I do get this real love, am I going to mess it up? Are they going to mess it up? Is this actually possible? And so we hear these songs and we just love it. I'm slipping around up here. It's very like humid and I'm discovering that my shoes have no traction. So I'm not trying to moonwalk or dance. It's just, that's what's happening to me right now. So all of this, all of this thinking, this is why um, this all rather informs our, our ideas, our views, our perspective on marriage. Uh, which is our, our subject uh, of conversation this morning. And to be honest with you, the, the, the subject of marriage seems to be the most out of place when it comes to this series on being human because for the past seven or eight weeks, we've been talking about this idea of how God created us uh, as, as man and woman to, to reflect him, to, to image him, to show the world what he's like as we go and interact with, with various people. And the reality of marriage is that not everybody gets married right? And so that doesn't mean necessarily that this is uh, an absolutely human thing. If you were with us last week, um, you would have heard Vijay talking about singleness, right? And so there are various ways that we're able to reflect the image of God to the world. But what we see when it comes to the subject of marriage is that God has a particular intentional design for it. And yet that's been broken and we need to submit ourselves to Jesus to see how is this actually going to function well? How is this actually meant to, to function? And part of being human in general, again, whatever your relationship status might be, there's this sense that every single one of us being made in the image of God, created by a loving God, we all have something hardwired within us to desire deep relationships to desire intimacy. And, and sometimes we get confused and we think that intimacy must mean romance or must mean something else, but actually it's just this longing to, to know other people and to be known uh, from like the inside out. We have this deep sense within us. And so I think that actually contributes to the way that our relationships get complex. We want to be known, I wanna know other people, but whether or not I'm gonna let other people in, whether or not others are going to let me in. And then this whole idea of love, well, if I expose myself and we do commit to something and we do you know, begin to date or get married and all that kind of thing, if we go through that, then, and then maybe, maybe it's gonna be broken. And, and so this tells us why you know, marriage rates, or divorce rates rather, depending on where you look, are between 40 and 60%. It says for, between 40 and 60%, depending on where you look, of first marriages end in divorce. Um, and that, I don't know the numbers for second and third and fourth and fifth marriages, but my assumption is if it's 40 to 60% for first marriages, might not be uh, better for the others. Um, I was reading something earlier this week on, uh, from the National Sleep Institute, and what they've, uh, which is out of Washington, D.C., and they're talking about this idea of, of more and more people are now beginning to live what they call an independent marriage, which is that you're married to another person, but you're basically living lives side by side. 
So yes, you maybe wear a ring, or yes, you had a ceremony, but you've gotten to a point in your relationship where you, you have that legal union, so to speak, but you're not living out any type of, of commitment to one another. You're just living side by side. The reason that the National Sleep Study or the National Sleep Society did this study is because they discovered that about a third of married couples are beginning to sleep in separate beds. And so they were trying to figure out, well, what's that all about? And as the study continued, they realized that there is this new, uh, what they're calling a micro shift in terms of societal change or cultural change that they're calling independent marriages. And so all of us, I, I, I assume not all of us, maybe most of us are, are the product of a marriage or, or we interact with people who are married. And so again, whether we're married in a relationship or whether we're uh, or single, um, we still think it's important for us to have a good understanding of what marriage is all about from, from God's perspective. And there's, mostly, there's primarily two reasons uh, for this. One is that God has an intended design and purpose for what marriage is meant to be. And we're gonna go to see Jesus' words and see how he goes back to the creation account in just a minute. God has a cre- a, a, an intended created order for what marriage is, the union between a man and a woman, and that this is one of the ways in which God shows the world what he is like. And so that's one of the things we'll do. And then um, the second reason is because, like I've already said, uh, whether we're single or married or not, we all interact with people of various kinds. So to have a good understanding of what God says about marriage might actually just set us up to engage the culture around us uh, a little bit better. So let's go to Matthew chapter 19. Before we get to Ephesians 5, which Serena read for us earlier, let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 19, and Jesus says this. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one, one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So what's happening here is that Jesus was approached, likely by a bunch of men, and they were asking him the question of divorce. Is it okay to divorce your wife? And if it is, when is it okay to divorce your wife? And in order to answer the question, can I di- what, what's the deal with divorce, what does Jesus do? He goes back to the creation of marriage, and he says, well, before we can talk about whether or not a marriage can be ended, let's talk about what a marriage is meant to be in the first place. And how does he do this? He goes back to the creation account. He says, haven't you read? So he's talking to people who are scholars, right? These religiously elite, spiritual leader type of people. Haven't you read? Don't you know what you got yourself into when you, when you got married, how this was a covenant union between the two of you? And in order to make sense of this, he goes all the way back to the beginning and puts it in the creator's court. He says, the creator made them male and female. He starts there. At the beginning, the creator made them male and female, which already begins to give us this sense of what marriage is and what marriage isn't. I think the fact that Jesus goes back to their creation account is very important because he's saying, this is how it is meant to be. It has become something different where you can marry uh, one woman, two women, three women, as many as you want and divorce at will, however you like. But he's saying that's not what marriage was ever meant to be. Actually, as the passage continues in Matthew 19, he talks about exceptions to the law that, that God gave to Moses to give to the people. And what he's saying is this is how it was always meant to be. A marriage, Jesus is saying, key ingredients is that there is a man and a woman. Then he continues in the next verse. And he says it's for this reason A man will leave his father and his mother to be united to his wife. For this reason. The reason is attaching it to the created order. For this reason. This is why why a marriage happens, or this is where a marriage comes from. For this reason, that the creator made them male and female, the two of them are brought together. And then we get this whole idea, and we've actually covered this over the past couple of weeks as we talk about maleness and femaleness and all of these kinds of things. So you may need to go back and revisit parts of the story. But these two distinct people 
are, are brought together, these two distinct genders are brought together, and it's in that, as they are brought together by God, that they experience the marriage union, and which means that this is more than just a civil union. This is actually a God-ordained union, which is why, God, or why Jesus says, and perhaps you've heard at many of the marriage ceremonies you've been to, therefore, what God has brought together let no man or let no person separate, right? Because we're talking about God's distinct presence and intentional purpose in what a true marriage is meant to be. So that gives us just a very quick oversight or overview rather of, of where marriage came from. But there's something else that Jesus says that I think helps us understand how, how we actually live our marriages out. And he says, um, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And part of this is talking about a, a paradigm shift that happens for any individual that is preparing to or has entered into marriage. This is about allegiance. This is about where your number one priority is. As you enter into the marriage union, you are no longer primarily uh, committed to serving and, 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 and taking care of, and, and your allegiance no longer primarily stands to your, with your parents. It now shifts to the person that you are married to. So given the time that this was written, okay, if we want to take the, the timeline and the co cultural context into play, it was unlikely that somebody would move out unless they were moving out to be married. As a matter of fact, in the Jewish tradition, it would be possible that you would get married and then live in a room that was actually attached to your parents' house. But what he's saying is this is why you leave, and perhaps you've heard other translations of scripture that say uh, leave your wife, or leave your, your, um, leave your parent, mother and your father and cleave, which is this idea of cling, hang on to, is you're no longer holding on primarily to your parents, you are now holding on primarily to your spouse. It's about allegiance, there's a paradigm shift. Now if we fast forward to today, the reality is many people don't live at home uh, before they're married, if they're going to be married. So we have all sorts of reasons for moving away, whether it be for school, whether it be for a job, whatever it might be. And I would say that if that's the situation we find ourselves in, then maybe there's a shift of living on our own where our, our allegiance is primarily to ourselves, right? I'm going to make my own money. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to pay my own bills. I'm going to fill my own fridge. I'm going to do whatever. It's all on me. And yet the same thing is true. This is why when two people get married, they are brought together and their allegiance shifts. You are now the most, pro uh, the most important person to me. I am committed to you in all things, the spouse says to the spouse. Again, this doesn't mean that your parents are no longer important, right? Um, it just means that you have a different way of interacting with them and your spouse becomes the most important thing. And so that being said, all this being said in terms of this paradigm shift of where our allegiance uh, shifts to when we enter into marriage, um, this is actually why I believe the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because what he's getting at here is this idea that every single person who is a follower of Jesus, no matter what your relationship status is, your number one commitment, your number one priority, your number one allegiance is to Jesus. And so you submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. So let's do a little bit of homework here to understand what's going on because there's five chapters and 20 verses that show up in the letter to the Ephesians before he says this. And this verse functions in many ways as a hinge from the first part of the book to the second part of the application that the Apostle Paul lays out. So the Apostle Paul is this um, 
a tremendous player, key player in the beginnings of the early church. Radical conversion story where God just absolutely changes him completely and he goes about preaching and teaching and he plants and starts up all these churches. One of them happening to be, happens to be a church in a place called Ephesus and he's writing them a letter to remind them of the things of God, to remind them of the salvation that they've received. And he spends five chapters starting by saying, don't forget that your forgiveness, your salvation, your spiritual life is not about anything you've ever done. It's the gift of God that he has made available to you. And so he says in chapter two, it is by grace that you have been saved by faith, not as the result of works so that no one may boast. And the idea behind that is he's saying, you can't walk around being a spiritually pompous person that doesn't exist because if you are a spiritual person, it implies that you have spiritual life and the only way you got that spiritual life is because God made it possible for you to be raised to life and if it was your own idea, you would absolutely boast about it. You would absolutely talk proudly about it. And here's the thing, some of us who are saved do think we're better than other people spiritually. And we do boast about how holier than thou we might feel and we're just completely missing the point if that's what it is because Paul is saying that this is a gift. And so he begins to work out that there is a radical transformation that happens in our life. The grace and the mercy of God absolutely transforms us. It saves us, we're resurrected from spiritual death, we're now living spiritual life for real and everything about how we live changes. And it's because of what Jesus has done that we have reverence for him. Reverence is this idea of, of honor, this idea of, 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 of submission, this idea of, of worship, this idea of priority. So we revere him. We have reverence for him. And the verse that we read is, have, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And again, remember how I said that this is a hinging verse? So the first five chapters, he's saying, because of what Jesus has done for you, serve others, submit others, don't abuse your authority, be a servant to all people, be humble before them because of what he's done for you. As you interact with all sorts of people, uh, this, this affects your, your relationship with God, this affects your relationship with other believers, this affects your relationships uh, with people who aren't followers of Jesus yet, and then the hinge, submit to one another, therefore, out of reverence for Christ, it hinges, and he begins to apply it to marriage, and then family, and then to our work ethic. Relationships between sla uh, slaves and masters, or master, uh, workers and masters, okay? You tracking with me on that? The reason I, I, I'm spending all the time there is because when we get into verse 22, there's a sense of like, hold on a minute. So let me just read it, and I hope that that background is gonna set us up well for where we go next. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit, to your submit yourselves rather to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So what we see from these verses is that marriage is a relationship of sacrifice and endless commitment between a man and a woman who say, I'm giving up everything to be united to you. My allegiance is now to you. Everything I do in all of my life is going to be for your improvement, for your embetterment. And that means in order for me to do this, I'm going to have to surrender myself to you. 
I'm going to have to submit to you and serve you first. You are the number one priority. And all of this is rooted in the way that we've seen Jesus interact with us, the way that he has been a servant leader before us. That is what absolutely fuels, that is the catalyst for how we interact in our marriages. And so our marriages are to be rooted and strengthened by and fueled by and founded upon that I am such a broken person and I'm gonna have a difficult time serving my spouse, but I know that Jesus did that for me and he supernaturally, supernaturally is helping me do this, what he's asking to do for my spouse. And so one thing that happens with this passage is that it gets primarily used to talk about the roles or the role dynamic between, uh, between men and women, husbands and wives. And so I, I understand that perhaps some of us have had an exposure to this, this part of scripture where it's been primarily focused on wives submit to your husbands as if there's no other part of this passage or there's no other part of this letter. But what I've been trying to do, and I hope you're catching it so far, is that it's not what it's about because this isn't about the roles. This is primarily about the relationships. And unfortunately, messages get taught that say that this is an excuse for for husbands to live however they want. And wives, you have no choice. If you're going to honor God, then you submit to your husband in every single way and let him get away with anything he wants. And I don't see that. And, and, and I, I kind of got to go back and forth a little bit, the wives and the husbands and, and, and our relationship with God and all that kind of thing. But we see it all playing together that it's not wives that you're supposed to submit to your husbands in every single thing and let him get away with anything he wants. I've heard stories of how this was the verse that was used to tell women that they shouldn't uh, seek counsel or get away from their abusive spouse. And when I look at that, I just say that is absolutely an abuse of, of power, an absolutely abuse of, of leadership, an absolute abuse of, of what the relationship is. Because if I'm primarily, as a husband, to be submitted to and serving sacrificially my wife, then how could I ever want to treat her in an aggressive way? And so I, I understand that that could be what you've heard or, or how you've interpreted this, but I actually see this as a further explanation of understanding what the gospel of Jesus is. Our marriages, marriage in general, has been created to be a reflection of what? The love of Jesus Christ that he has for his people. Now, you can't, I'm not gonna try and skirt around this verse in Ephesians chapter 23, or five verse 23, which says, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is savior. The passage seems to imply that there is a sense of leadership that the husband is to have in the relationship uh, and, and in the household if there are kids and beyond that. But the question this begs for me is, well, what does that look like? What is that type of leadership? What is that kind of headship, seeing as that's the word that gets used here, depending on the English translation? I would say that all of this, again, is a part of the same story of the leadership of Jesus. And if we're supposed to submit to one another out of our reverence for Jesus, then that begs the question, why do I have reverence for Jesus? Why do I honor Jesus? And when we look at the character of Jesus, when we see the things that he's done as we go to uh, the, the, the Gospels, the eyewitness accounts of how Jesus interacted with people uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the, the New Testament, as we go and see how he did that, what we see is that he is never trying to take the place of honor. He's always trying to give it to somebody who is uh, least deserving of it, seemingly least deserving of it. And as a matter of fact, one time, in his, there's many times in his life, but one in particular, just before he's betrayed and then arrested, put on trial and crucified, he's having a final meal with his best friends, uh, the disciples, and he knows what's about to happen to him. And this could have been the one time where he says, like, fellas, I've been serving like crazy for the last three years. I am exhausted. And what I'm about to endure will be the most complex and difficult and trying time in my entire ministry on earth. I, I'm going to take it easy tonight. But what does he do? 
These men come in all nasty, and he takes off his outer garment, wraps it around his feet, gets down on his knees, and begins to wash and bathe their feet. Symbolically, symbol, uh, sim, a symbol rather, of his love, servant, servant love for them. But culturally, this, ser- this, this picture of there is no way there is no way that the one who claims to be the teacher and the master would ever find themselves in the position of washing feet. And so all of this absolutely demonstrated the sacrificial love of God, what? In Jesus' death on the cross, where he comes to the end of, the, of his life and he gives himself completely for all people, serving all of them, putting himself in their place. Another way of saying it, submitting himself, surrendering himself serving other people. So when we see this analogy that the Apostle Paul is making as he talks about uh, wives submit to your husbands and husbands uh, serve your wives, he's, and, and like, like, the, like the church Christians submit to, to, to Jesus and how, and, and how Jesus leads the church, what he's doing here is he's saying that this is all sacrifice all over the place. That the whole beginning of the church, Christianity at large, was founded upon the leader giving himself up completely for those he is leading. And that's the picture that we get when we look here. And so what this gives us, I think, is a real tangible way of interacting with our spouses. It also gives us a real tangible way of honoring and worshiping God. Because wives, the idea here is that as you submit to your husband, this is done as an act of worship to God in heaven. And so some practical things. I'm not the best wife, um, definitely not the best husband, uh, but some things that I would, some questions I would raise to perhaps just think through in terms of how does this play out. So, so how do you talk about your husband or how do you speak about your husband when he's not around? You're with other people, friends, uh, your, your, your mother, your whoever, and, and how are you talking about your husband? Are you, are you concerned about building up his reputation and, and making him shine and, 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 and not like worshiping him, but, but talking about how he's, he's doing he can, what he can to be the best husband he can? Or is it like, I cannot believe this guy again? I'm just assuming this is what some wives may say or think from time to time, right? I don't know where I've heard that before. Um, <laughs> it's vaguely familiar like this morning, I think. Anyways, um, <laughs> and so it's just asking the question, how do we think about our husbands? Because the responsibility of Christians, right, as we're away from the church, as we're out and about in our daily lives, is we speak highly of Jesus. And it's, it's the same interaction. It's the same type of relationship that plays out. So how do we talk about it? Do, do you love your husbands um, in light of the, the man he is or in light of the man that you want him to be? And I'm not saying that you just accept him for as he is because in this submission, there's this service. We all want to see the improvement, the betterment of, of each other in our relationships. But I, we, Sandra and I, um, a couple of years ago, we did like this couple's uh, marriage counseling. It was like based on a book, Five Days to a Better Marriage. What a joke. Five Days to a Better Nothing, really. Um, and one of the things that we talked about there that, that happened to be a period in our marriage where evidently I was not driving up to, to standard of what Sandra would like. Um, and so we were talking about how this is a constant state of conflict for us. And it was a real state of conflict for us because I drove and she would say things about how I was driving and I would just, ah, whatever, let me drive kind of thing. And some of the advice that we got was, or some of the advice that Sandra got was actually from one of the people facilitating this was, well, you know, there are certain things that just aren't going to change and you're going to need to submit to him in this. And I remember sitting there going, what terrible advice is that? If you're not expecting me to listen to my wife, to submit to my wife, to change my behavior in a way that clearly is a legitimate uh, place of, uh, whatever the word is for this symbol, um, for like, of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Conflict, tension. Um, 
then man, I'm going to be able to get away with a whole bunch of other stuff. And if the advice is to my wife that, she, no, what she needs to do is maybe just get in the driver's seat from the very beginning, actually. But okay, what am I going on about here? In light of the person that he is or in light of the person that you want him to be. And so again, you don't let him get away with anything, but, but do you see him? Like again, another question is women, is it about, is it about always about the things that he hasn't done or is there any, uh, any, any um, attention given to what he has done? Right, I wish I had a husband who did this or I wish I had someone who did this, but what about all the things he has done? Like be faithful and be constant and coming home and all these kinds of things. So it's just a bit of a rethink in terms of how we interact with our spouses. And so husbands, then, the, then things shift and, and it, applies to, it applies to us, those of us who are husbands. It says in verse 25, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And so what this is saying, husbands, as a result of our submission to God, as a result of our worship to God, we will give ourselves completely for the sake of serving our spouse. And here's the thing. Before Jesus died sacrificially, he lived sacrificially. So before he died a physical death, death, he died to self every moment of every day as he took care and met the needs of the person right in front of him. And if we know Jesus was not married, but that still gives us instruction for those of us who are in terms of how we treat our wives. So before we say, and it's so easy to get caught up in, again, the romance of the singing, right? I would, I would, I, I, what does he say, Brian Adams? I would fight for you. I would lie for you. I would walk the line for you. I would die for you, right? It's so big, it's so epic, and we love that. But I'm just like, would you like sit and listen to your wife talk first? Like, is it that, like, like, like you know what I mean? Like, it's so easy to get caught up in, like, there's no, there's no mountain high, there's no valley low, but there's like the kettle, it's right there. <laughs> Could you go get the kettle and make a tea and bring it to your wife before she asks for it, right? But I would, like, I just, and I'm like, this is like a learning process for me too. I just want everybody to know that, okay? Um, okay. Um, and so I think that, you know, this goes hand in hand with the, question that, the questions that I asked um, the wives to consider. Um, you know, as we're talking about honoring and, and, and serving, it's like, well, husbands, are we grumbling under our breath, again, about expectations that we have or shouldn't have? Uh, for our wives. Um, you know, I was listening to a podcast a while back and it was about a guy talking about um, a real trying, difficult time in his marriage. And um, somebody that was counseling him said, um, you know, go home and ask your wife what the best way for her to end her day is. And so he went home and he said, okay, babe, what's the best way for you to end your day? And she says, at the end of the day, once the kids are in bed and once we've put the house back together, I just want like an hour to myself to do whatever I want. Take a shower, make a tea, read a book, watch a show, flop on the couch, do nothing, whatever. I just want an hour to that. And so he said, in order for me to serve my wife well, to ensure that her day ends well, I need to bless her by allowing her to do what she wants to do and not coming up with another thing or another task that we need to do. So husbands, maybe this is a question we need to ask very tangibly. What is something I can do for you that will serve you well? And then Paul, uh, the writer here, goes on and talks about this idea of washing her with water, with the word. And again, it's this beautiful illustration of the responsibility that we have. Husbands, if we're going to be leaders in our, in our marriages, in our homes, then our role is to be, yes, a sacrificial leader like Jesus. And as Jesus sacrificially led his disciples and everybody else he interacted with them, he was constantly teaching them and bathing them in a sense, giving them the gift of, of, of God, the word of God. 
And so we have this responsibility to be leading our families into the word of God and into prayer. And let me tell you something about how absolutely terrible I was at this at the beginning of our marriage. I was going through a phase while we were dating and then into when we got married where we would read a passage of scripture or we would hear a uh, a sermon. And then after that, Sandra would ask a question, something like, "Um, well, what do you think that means? Or what do you feel about this passage? And I remember saying these actual words out loud. I'm not really interested in talking about what I feel or what I think, but when you're ready, I'll tell you what I know they mean. Because I'd studied, right? I was, I'd arrived. I had spent the time. I had heard one sermon and was absolutely convinced. And that was enough. Do you know what that did to our marriage? Wrecked it. Because then she basically said, I don't ever want to talk about scripture with you. That's a very difficult thing when your job is to talk about scripture with people. And so my, my own wife, not having this opportunity to do that because I just stamp, trampled all over it. And so take this image of washing, right? If you've ever had the opportunity to, to bathe a baby, what a life-changing, you experience every emotion you could possibly feel in the process of doing that. But if you're gonna have a newborn baby, you're gonna take them, you're gonna make sure that the water is perfect to the point where sometimes you fill it up, stick your elbow in it, stick your toe in it, put the thermometer in it, and still pour it out because you're not convinced to get it just right. And then when you put them in, you're holding them and you're, you're gently washing them and, and, and taking care of them. You do not put a baby in the corner of the backyard and get out your diesel-powered pressure washer. <laughs> and that is basically, given the analogy, how I was treating my spiritual leadership in our marriage. And it was a disaster. And that's like a learning journey. It's a long, long process. And so we do have a responsibility to live for our spouses by putting them first. And what's amazing about this is that we do not have a God who just tells us how it ought to be. We have one who showed us what it's like. And, and for singles and for married people, whatever your circumstances, the beauty of this is that Jesus, a single man, shows us how to interact with all people and it absolutely plays out in our interactions with others, with, with other believers, with non-Christians, with the person we're married to, with our children, with, with our parents, with everyone else. There's something in there for all of us. And as we sacrificially give ourselves for the service of our spouse, for submitting ourselves and putting them first, what we become is a picture of God. We get to image, we get to reflect to the world a picture of what God's character is like to the point where as we do this, when we're talking with other people and we're not holding grudges against our spouses, when we are talking uh, highly of them, when we are encouraging them and building them up, being their biggest cheerleader, when we are making sure that we're not being a hindrance to what their dreams and their hopes and their goals are, when we do that, other people are gonna look at us and they're gonna say, what? why is your marriage like that? I've never seen a marriage like that. And we get to say, you know what? Our marriage is like this because we've never seen a God like this anywhere else. And he's making us to be like him, and we're able to reflect this to the world as we go. And so we have this beautiful opportunity to be a picture of God in our marriages. And to just illustrate this a little bit more, uh, we're gonna go to a video from Bethany and Kinsena, a couple in our church, and uh, they're just gonna talk a little bit about their experience uh, in their marriage and what they've learned along the way, and then I'll come back with some concluding remarks. I'm Bethany. And uh, we've been married for 26 years, going on 27. Well, I I think uh, when we uh, first got married, we were a lot more shy. Um, I think we didn't really know how to communicate as well. I think um, uh, maybe because we didn't know each other 
as well or we didn't know ourselves as well so we um, uh, we didn't communicate as as freely as we should have and we were also a little bit more reserved um, not even sure how the other person would react at times so um, as now that we know each other better <laughs> we're pretty free <laughs> and open um, and you know just learning more about each other and understanding how the other person would react I, I think um, a lot of it is just um, getting to know each other, understanding where each other's coming from. I think a lot of times um, I found my, and it's also learning about myself too, and, and learning about uh, what kind of uh, struggles that unresolved issues that we might have had. And so sometimes I find myself uh, reacting to Bethany um, when in fact she's just triggering something that's deeper inside of myself, and I needed to take time to. Uh, reflect uh, to process what's going on and and that takes time uh, to to understand that and um, uh, we, we spend a lot of time talking you know over coffee over breakfast um, there was a period where after we dropped the kids off in school we would go to McDonald's every morning for breakfast and that would be our alone time that would be our time where we were able to just to talk and what's what's going on in your life and and, and uh, hear each other out and for myself, I found that having grown up as being the youngest in the family, I was used to having things my way <laughs> and also being cared for. So I found that um, for a lot of situations, if I had to uh, choose the things or if, if there was a situation where I got to pick something, it would, I would try to find the best because being the youngest growing up, it was already gone. So I had to kind of learn to fend for myself. And he, he, being the oldest, was trying to figure out what's going on here. Why is she leaving all the bad stuff for me? <laughs> so it was just learning, just learning where I was coming from, from my own family's uh, background as well. So just learning to be more, more selfless and thinking about the other person. We didn't really have a lot of mentors um, while we as we started in our marriage relationship. Um, I, that was something I was really hoping for, and that's why one of the reasons why Kinson and I now um, would readily make ourselves available for anyone who comes to us. Well, one of the things I learned through my marriage is um, very often I feel like um, we don't understand marriage until we really understand uh, the love that Jesus had for his church, his bride. And when you recognize that um, Jesus gave his life up for the church um, to sacrifice and, and to make her holy, um, you know, that's the kind of love that um, you really begin to uh, uh, understand and appreciate in a marriage context. And uh, there's so many times that uh, I, I feel like I've, you know, I can do so much better in terms of my love for Bethany, um, uh, how I can make her uh, holy or how I can... Just improve her character or just to shape her character. I wish uh, I can do more, and that's something that I'm learning as, as we go on. Yes, uh, through marriage, God has shown me, uh, He's helped me to understand or to appreciate His unconditional love for me, um, forgiveness, uh, patience, and most of all, grace. Um, if not for uh, the ta that tangible feeling from a husband, who loves me the way he does, I don't think I would really have that 
deeper knowledge or feeling or even that awareness of God's goodness and His blessing for me. Well, it's interesting that uh, when we first attended Upper Room and we were interested in joining uh, a home group, um, you know, we were expecting to join a home group uh, with families or couples our age. And so what does Pastor Tony do? He puts us in a group uh, where it's all young adults. And, and uh, uh, at first we're thinking, you know, how are we gonna fit in? You know, what, what's our role there? But, you know, the more we are, you know, in these home group settings, uh, the more we understand that God has put us there for a reason. And it's really to, to, to share life with them, to share our experiences, to share our uh, joys and pains with them. And uh, it, there's, there's, there's nothing better than to be able to share. And so I feel like with our marriage, we're able to um, contribute to people's lives uh, in, in this way. Well, one of the uh, life verses for myself is in Romans 12, um, verse 12. Um, that's the whole section on love, basically love in action. And I, I just find it so deep and rich when it comes to how we live our lives and how we express love to God's people and to those that are around us. And uh, in, 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 that, in the middle of that passage, there's this one verse, and it says, um, be joyful in hope, uh, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And that's really become my life verse in terms of my marriage with Bethany. What I would like to tell um, younger women, younger wives is to, to really grow in your walk with the Lord. Um, because it's only through Jesus. When you fall in love with him and he shows you what true love is, you will become that beautiful woman that your husband will be attracted to. So to sum all of this up, you can't fully love your spouse until you've begun to fully love Jesus. He's the model. He's the picture. He shows us what it means to truly be human. No matter what our relationship status might be, he's the one who shows us. And God has created us and given us purpose. And the, he's given us the gift of being able to image, reflect, show the world what he's like. And so as we submit to him, we submit to others, and we get to show the world a picture of what he's like. I want to give you a little homework to do. Um, if, you are, uh, if you're a married couple, um, or in the process, maybe you're engaged or talking about marriage or wherever you're at. So I, I, I'm very, um, we want to we ask you to, to write your vows <laughs> for one another. Um, and so one of the things um, we wanted to do is go to scripture and see, you know, what is it that God says to us and how can that actually be a model uh, for our rewriting of these vows? Now, I'm not like a super hallmarky kind of guy, so I, I'm really hesitant to say these are God's vows to us. I'm not going to do that, um, but what I am going to say is that these are some of the truths that I've pulled out, some of the themes I've been able to see in scripture that might be helpful as we think of this idea that our relationship with God and his relationship to us uh, influence the way that we connect to others. And so it's like God says, to us, my love for you will never, will never run out, and I will remind you of this mul in multiple ways every single day. I saw a cardinal this morning, and again, I'm not super hallmarky. Maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe I'm just becoming something new. I saw a cardinal flying this morning, and I was like, man, it's so beautiful how in this kind of gray, hazy morning, there's this picture of color that floats around. And then it got me thinking about, well, like his eyes on the sparrow. It's probably on the cardinal. It's a reminder of his love and how he takes care of us. He shows us that every day. I'm committed to transforming you 
right? So surrender yourself to me. Submit yourself to me. Give yourself to me. And I'm not going to take advantage of you. I have, a, I, have, I, I have hopes and dreams. It's like God is saying to us. You're forgiven for all that you've done wrong against me and everything you will do. Imagine our marriages look like that where you're already forgiven about the, uh, for the sins that you'll commit against me. I'm not going to hold a grudge with you. We're committed to each other and we're going to work through this and I love you. I will always have time for you. And the amazing thing about God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, is even right now, he has time for every one of us. So help let that uh, impact the way we create these for our spouses. I have a good plan for your life. Trust me. And and in in a marriage, it's often that we're sorting out our plans together, and that's okay. In the mutual love and submission, we're trying to figure out how do these two people who become one go forward, and we see that God actually has a plan for us. And I'm never going to walk away from you, so walk with me. I'm committed to you, so be committed to me, God says. And so uh, one thing with vows, I went looking for our wedding vows. I could not find them. There was no file in the computer. Even the pastor who married us didn't have a record. Um, They were there, I'm pretty sure, that we gave vows to each other. But we have to do some of this work rewriting. And um, typically vows are like really big picture kind of thing, the mountain high, valley low kind of stuff. So instead of giving you an example of what the vows could be, take up, you've got the, well, there they are. Um, They're very specific. How will I submit to you today? How can I serve you today? And so this maybe is a conversation that you're having with your spouse as you're working through this. How will I demonstrate my love for you today? Not, not you know, when we're old and gray and not in sickness and in health, but right now, right here. And when we think about it that way, it actually inf- it, it totally influences where we'll be when we're 70. Um, and what are my hopes for you today? So just a couple of questions uh, to process. I'm going to wait the worship team uh, to come up and... Um, Process that. Do that together. Let that be an exercise of faith. Let that be an exercise of, of love, an exercise of, of, of enjoyment, a gift that you give uh, to your spouse, uh, that you give to one another. And, and as we, we go through this, because we're going to do it too, as we go through this, um, let it be an, an, active, an act of worship to our good God. God, you are good to us, and uh, we love you because you've shown us how to love. You sent Jesus, your, your son. He gave himself entirely for us, And so because of what he's done in in sacrificially leading us, uh, by our faith in all that he's done, we've been able to experience this absolutely life-altering type of mercy and grace and love and transformation and and that you empower us and enable us and actually call us uh, to love our spouses, not just our spouses, but to love every person we meet with in the same way. I just thank you, God, for being one who is committed to helping us do that well. And so, Father, for everyone in the room, understanding now that we've been made in your image with a purpose and that we get this gift of playing a role, of showing the world what you're like, I pray, God, that you would strengthen the marriages in this room. The ones that are very strong right now, God, I pray that you would continue to forge that bond. The ones that are feeling weak or that they're crumbling, God, I pray that there would just be an army of people that come around them to support them and build them up, that they would have a renewed sense of what their marriage is meant to be and that they would be committed by your grace to put the work in to making it how you want it to be, knowing that you're with them every step of the way. And for all of us, God, that we would just know how deeply loved we are by you, how you're so committed to us. Pray, Lord, that we would just walk everywhere we go, everywhere we walk, that we would just have this constant reminder of your great love for us. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.